We are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. You can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Jeremy Spector here tonight. Randall J. Sanders also here. I'm Ronan O'Shea. And your first place Chicago Cubs wrap up a successful seven-game road trip out west. We will talk about the series with the Giants and the series victory over the San Diego Padres. Big homestand coming up for the Cubs. Just three games, but it's three games against an all-time rival with 100% capacity back at Wrigley Field. So we'll talk about the Cardinals series. We'll look ahead to next week, a four-game set in New York against the Mets. We've got injury updates and one of Randall's favorite topics, fashion. Jerseys. We're going to talk about these City Connect jerseys that the Cubs unveiled this week. So a lot on the docket here tonight. Gentlemen, it was 97 degrees in Denver today. It's hot. Uh, Jeremy, you look uncomfortable. Randall, you, as always, look a bit uncomfortable. I'm getting the vibe. It's a little warm back home as well. Ronan, you're, you're not wrong. It's been in the upper 80s, low 90s all week. We've got humidity to match. If you're close to the lake, apparently it's more comfortable, but I've spent uh, my entire week in DuPage County, so I have not gotten any of that lake air conditioning. Randall, well, get out there. I am close to the lake. Uh, it's a little hot up here. Probably going to turn my air conditioning, air conditioning on, but I, I just want to say before we go on, I'm actually pretty comfortable, and the reason I'm pretty comfortable, and I don't know if you were going to get to this, Ronan, if I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but this is our 22nd episode, and so mm. I just want to put that out there that I'm very comfortable doing number 22. Well, it's a big day and a very good call there. This is number 22. Last couple of weeks, we've celebrated some all-time Cubs greats. So we got a little Matt Merton action in for 20. We got Corey Patterson last week, the big Sammy Sosa. Randall, 22, that's all about you. This is a big moment for you, right? The big 2-2, that's always been your number. And today we get to number 22. We've survived 22 shows together. How about that? We have indeed, and I, you know, I, I can't not say that I'm honored to have uh, episode number 22 dedicated in my honor. Some very interesting number 22s in Cubs history. It's a number that's been uh, hit or miss doesn't seem to describe it. it. It When it hits, it hits, and when it misses, oh boy. Uh, of course, who can forget Mark Pryor and his meteoric rise to the majors in number 22 and his fall from health just as quickly. Some of the names after Mark Pryor, Kevin Hart, Tom Gorzolani, Xavier Nady, Carlos Pena, Matt Garza, Logan Watkins, Felix Dubrant, one year of Addison Russell before Jason Hayward signed as a free agent and brought at least a little bit of stability to the number. And I appreciate Jason Hayward doing that because number 22 was getting passed around like the bottle of Hennessy at a bachelor party. Whoa. Wow, you, you, you got experience with that, huh? Uh, which was your uh, favorite 22 there in between Hayward and uh, Pryor? Yikes. That's that's my answer. I, I guess I'll go you with... You got to have one. You know, I guess I'll go with maybe Matt Garza or Carlos Pena, who did Not some Felix interesting Dubron. things. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, Felix Dubrant, if you're out there listening, you, you don't quite make the top the top of my list in this particular instance. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, yeah, the comedian, as you know, as a baseball player, probably uh, explains why he was only four right-hander from Maryland, I believe. Probably explains why he was only on the team for two years. Uh, yeah, boy, these were there were some dark times in between Pryor and Hayward, and the the players to wear the number, I would say, match that. 
I thought you'd be a little more uh, into the X-Man, given your interests. You know, he's a, he's an in, he was an interesting player. You don't see a whole lot of guys who can play center field, first base, and third base. The Cubs came Chris up Bryant. with that architecture. I was going to say, the Cubs yeah. have that template now, and they have it a whole lot better than Xavier Nady. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, 22, an interesting number in Cubs history. And, you know, who can forget Bill Buckner? He was a Cub for a time. And he did, in fact, wear number 22 in his time as a Cub. So it's a number with a, a whole lot of name to it. Not always good names, but a whole lot of name to it. And well, well, the local boy, uh, Tom Gorzolani, Gorzo, that's as right. Randall mentioned, from the Pirates, uh, not another one that would be up on the list. You know, Randall, I don't think we've discussed this in the past on this show. You and I have talked about it, but you say things, and I hear them, and then I don't remember them, and then I ask you to tell me them again and again. So why 22? Of all the numbers players could wear, what drew you to the 2-2? Ronan, I've asked myself this question for years. I don't really have an answer to that. I think it's probably the fact that I like alliterative numbers. I like the, the, the matching double digits. And other than that, I don't know. Like I've, I've thought about it. I'm like, why, why the number 22? I don't have an answer to that. It, it just kind of, it, it picked me, I guess. Interesting. Like the you know, sorting always... hat. Exactly right. Exactly. Exactly like the sorting hat. You know, I think a lot of baseball fans, as you're growing up, you, you think, okay, if I were on the team, what number would I wear? And Randall, for you, it's obviously been 22. I've always been drawn to 99. I think it's a great number. I think Ricky Vaughn maybe is part of my interest in 99. It's just a number you don't see a lot of. And unfortunately, with the Cubs, when we've seen 99, it's been on guys like Todd Hundley, which doesn't make it maybe the most memorable number. Jeremy... What would be your number, though? What's the number you would pick if, if you were a player and you had to decide what to be? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, was So Taguchi a 99 on the Cubs? He was. And, of course, we're obligated to ask how Taguchi was he. He was So Taguchi. Thank you. Yeah. And I'd also like to edit my little thing. I, I think it's more not the, quite the sort of get. It's more like the wand, Randall. The wand picks you. That's right. Make that's Harry right. References. The fan doesn't for, pick the number. The, the number picks the fan. Yeah. But for me, I, I, I would probably be either six or to follow in your guys' footsteps, 66 to go with the double okay. number. That's I thought you picked 10. Ah, nah, not nah, nah, 10. I'm a six guy. Uh, number six, uh, well, 66, you know, play a little O-line, uh, Mario Lemieux. So there you go. But uh, no, my birthday, man. Randall, um, you got the Cubs digits pulled up here? Do I ever, Ronan? And in fact, I was just about to mention, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should follow Casey Ignarski, who runs the wonderful Cubs by the Numbers website. You can find him on Twitter at Casey, K-A-S-E-Y-I-9-9. And he runs the great CubsbyTheNumbers.com website. You can pull up the numeric roster for a given season, or you can pull up the all-time list of players to wear a given number, just an invaluable resource for a fan of minutia like me. So give him a follow, give his website a, a look when you get a moment. But yes, I do have that in front of me. And that of course is what I've been reading off as we've been looking at some of these numbers. Well, well then I got to ask you about six, Jeremy's number. Uh, that one comes to mind. I know he's born in the sixth month on the sixth day. So a happy belated birthday to Jeremy. When I hear number six, I think of Glen Allen Hill, but I'm struggling to find other sixes that kind of pop up or come to mind. So who else is in the mix there? Ronan, some of these are right in your wheelhouse. Cause right after Glenn Allen Hill, you had Ross Glode on the mm. 2000 Cubs. You had former Cub all-star Ron Coomer in 2001. And again, I know that was your team. He was a number six. 
names like Ramon Martinez, Micah Hoffpower, all-star Brian LaHare, of course, Carl Edwards Jr., a, a great relief pitcher in his day, Nick Castellanos in his half season as a Cub, and then a couple of uh, cups of coffee, Ian Miller, Billy Hamilton, and of course, it's currently on outfielder Jake Marisnik. You know, I interviewed Ross Glode once. He was a uh, inductee into the University of South Florida Athletic Hall of Fame. I was doing some broadcast work down there. Got a chance to interview him, and uh, it wasn't all that pleasant, to be honest with you. He was not in a very good mood, which was interesting because it was a night he was being honored. And I was looking forward to it because he was a former Cub, and it kind of left me with a bad taste. Didn't, didn't so much enjoy the interview at Ross Glode. Also a former White Sox. That's right. One of those guys who explains a few things. Okay, he was a former White Sox. You brought it up. I want to. I want to say he was like part of a. Oh no, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm trying to remember how he got to the White Sox from the Cubs. But just feels like he eventually got over there. Jeremy, you are of course correct, as you so often are. Ross Glode, a member of both the Cubs and the White Sox. He was a member of the Cubs first in 2000. He made his way to the White Sox by way of, I believe, the Colorado Rockies, the current home team of one person on this podcast. The Cubs traded him. uh, Actually, no, the Cubs did not trade him. The Rockies took him off of waivers from the Cubs. He was briefly a Met. He was purchased by the Rockies back from the Mets and then traded to the White Sox for Wade Parrish in March of 2003. And Wade Parrish, I don't believe ever made the major leagues just in case anybody out there was curious. So Ross glowed a very circuitous route from one side of the city to the other by way of uh, Denver and by way of New York City, all the way back to Chicago. It's, it's quite yeah, like and, a, and, and like, a lost, was all, like a lost FedEx package. I was looking at his transaction page a little bit just as you were. And he was involved in a, first of all, he came to the Cubs because he, he was traded for Henry Rodriguez from the Marlins, but he was also involved in a monster three uh, team trade that saw many Cubs being uh, former Cubs being traded in that or former future. You got Lenny Harris, you got Glendon Rush, you got Jeremy Burnitz, you got Todd Zeal. And then he, with the White Sox, they traded him to Kansas City Royals. He was traded for a former Cub top prospect in Andy Cisco. So he'd been, all of his trades seem to somehow involve a whole bunch of Cubs in them. Yeah, boy, this needs one of those cork boards with a photo in the middle and yarn and, and thumbtacks reaching out to, to different pictures. How deep does this go? And that's the Ross Glode uh, corner. Yeah, how about that? I didn't think we'd be talking <laughs> Ross Glode today, um, but a perfect way to bring home our little numbers segment here. This is show number 22. My number would be 99. I'm looking forward to getting to 99 with you guys. Jeremy's number six. And uh, Jeremy, we mentioned it was your birthday here in the last week. So a happy birthday to you. Welcome to your year of the Kerry Wood. And I've got to say, you're kind of dressed up tonight. Most of the time when we do this, you got like a raggedy shirt on and you're kind of all over the place. Yeah. You got some raggedy shirts in the arsenal tonight though. Collared shirt looking very dapper. this evening. Not really dapper. I just had a polo on. I don't know. It was between this and a Pearl Jam shirt. So I took this one. Well, you're dressed up for the old birthday show. So that's good stuff. (laughs) Uh, Last time on the show, 
We were talking with some trepidation about a Cubs trip out west. Seven games against two of the best teams in the National League, the San Francisco Giants, the San Diego Padres, and it started rough. Four-game set in San Francisco. The Cubs dropped the first three. They win the game Sunday. They go to San Diego, Jeremy, and they take two out of three from a team that many think are going to win the pennant this year in the National League, the San Diego Padres. Um, Anytime you go west, it's going to be a challenge. We were talking a week ago, boy, a three-win road trip would be just fine here. And even though it started with three losses, they salvaged the road trip and come home with a ton of momentum. Definitely. Uh, you know, especially with the way, as you mentioned right there, uh, they started off that road trip 0-3. So to go 3-1 and on the way back, on the back end of that, is pretty good. Uh, you know, you know they going to San Francisco, it's a tough month. It's a really tough month. And it's an even tougher month when you see who the Brewers are playing, it seems like they're playing every, you know, bottom feeder while the Cubs are playing all the top teams in the NL. But, uh, you know, you go out to San Francisco, a team I wasn't super familiar with this year, hadn't really been following them. And then, you know, looking at, it seems like they have an offense that really can hit. Like they have a lot of guys on there that could really, that are hitting the ball hard. Uh, one of them, unfortunately, Evan Longoria was in a uh, collision for the Cubs where the Cubs could have come back, but, they didn't, but, you know, you, you steal that game on Sunday uh, pretty much. Then you go into San Diego, you lose the first game, you kind of, you know, Azalai has some issues, like he's got a blister. Um, so you're not – things aren't really looking too up, but then the comeback, you, 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 you take a game, uh, kind of a blowout, and then you beat you in a huge game. So you've you got to be feeling pretty good after that road trip. Uh, you know, I, like the bullpen for the most part has looked good. Uh a huge game against Darvish where Jake pretty much matched you for five innings. And then the bullpen comes in, shuts the door on the Padres. So, you know, you're five and one against the Padres on this year. Like, I don't think anybody would have expected that. So you, you got to take that going to this Cardinals series. The Cardinals, a team that are, you know, slowing down, not playing very well. So you got to be, I think you got to be confident going into the series. We talk all the time about how it matters just as much when you play a particular team, the Padres are struggling a little bit right now. They have some guys on the injured list. Their offense is failing to score runs. Uh, Tatis is in a little bit of a slump right now, and the Cubs are able to take advantage of that. You could have very easily have ended up playing the Padres in April or May when they were lighting the world on fire. And that series, both of these series probably would have gone differently. So the Cubs catch a little bit of a break and they take advantage. And, you know, we talk about quote unquote signature wins, the wins that, stand out when you look back at a season. And if you've managed to find success in that season, they, they kind of get highlighted. And I would say the rubber match against the Padres in San Diego, you're facing your former ace, you Darvish, who's been great this season. Your, your starting pitcher is what's left of Jake Arietta after he puked up both runs and whatever else after his last start. Uh, you're, you're playing the forfeit lineup, you're playing the travel day lineup, you know, Bryant, no Contreras, and you get out of there with a, a three to one win. You hold a great offense to one run. You manage to score just enough to make it hold up. That's a great win. I know all three of us saw that lineup that morning and we said, Oh, there's no chance, especially against Darvish. And then they go out and they do it. I didn't see it coming, but I, I'm real happy that they did it. You know, it was interesting with Darvish too. He pitched really well in that game, uh, went seven innings, two runs allowed on three hits, struck out eight, walked a couple. The Cubs able to get a couple of runs off of him late in that game and end up winning. Um, was it 
Difficult, Randall, though, to see him on the mound. I mean, it, he's so good. And watching the movement on his pitches, it just I, you can't look at him and not miss him on the north side of Chicago. It wasn't difficult to see him on the mound. I didn't see him on the mound at all. I didn't get to see a second of that game. I saw a couple of, a couple of check-ins mid-game and then the final score. But if, if I had been watching, it would have been a little difficult. Because, again, we, we talked all winter about how difficult it was to see them get rid of Darvish for peanuts, very young peanuts. We keep saying, wow, this team would really be a contender if they had a pitcher of Darvish's caliber. It, it would have been a little difficult to see him out there and pitching. And he, he made a couple, he did a couple of homages to his former teammates during the game. He made sure to get Rizzo's attention while he was batting and then walked up to Rizzo's walk-up music, uh, a little tribute to his former teammate. So yeah, had I been able to watch, it would have been a little bittersweet. I liked Darvish. The work he did here was by and large pretty good. I was angry and sad to see him traded. So it would have been difficult. So maybe, maybe not watching was a, a blessing in disguise. I don't have to deal with those complex emotions again, since the Cubs are done with the Padres this year well by not watching you did miss a pretty good game i mean the cubs jock yeah. peterson had a nice blast off of you uh they were able to get a couple of add-on runs late in the game some uh you know the go-ahead run off rizzo's bad unfortunately hit ground and double play but then sergio alcantara with a, a massive homer off the bullpen so uh you know i and i, and I agree with you on darvish you know mix but i want to push back a little bit on this when you play teams i mean it's not like the cubs are the picture of health. They have a ton of guys on the IL. This this Padres team still rolling out Machado, still rolling out Tatis, still rolling out Hosmer and Myers, and a, a whole bunch of guys that are getting paid a ton of money to play baseball. Throwing Darvish, you know, the Cubs are doing their job. They're holding this to offense. So I, I think we sometimes we give too much. We, we need to start giving this team some credit because they have been playing very well. And I, I feel like sometimes we don't give this, these guys enough credit for how well they're playing and how good they've been. You're Jeremy, absolutely right. Jeremy, that's fair. Uh, I, I don't mean to undercredit the Cubs. I don't well, mean I'm not to overcredit accusing you, Randall, or anything. Right. I don't mean to general. overcredit the Padres collectively. The Cubs are playing who they're playing and they're getting the job done right now. Doesn't matter who they're missing, they they keep winning consistently. So I don't mean to undercredit the Cubs. All the credit to them for making the best of uh, a lot of injuries right now and beating some very good teams in spite of it. You know, the Cubs have been driven by the best bullpen in baseball since the beginning of May. A couple of guys, too, have really stepped up. We've talked about Patrick Wisdom. He's up to eight home runs in 44 at-bats right now for the Cubs. He's already put up 1.2 war this year, and he's a guy who just every time he's in the lineup, he's crushing the ball. Even the outs that he's making, he's hitting the ball over 100 miles per hour. Uh, but, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you about a guy that you just mentioned a minute ago, uh, Sergio Alcantara, uh, because he's an interesting case here, and he did a whole lot on that road trip out west we saw him at second base we saw him at shortstop we saw him at third base awesome tweet earlier this week too from our buddy matt clapp at the blog finds with an interesting sort of perspective on what's going on with alcantara he wrote he's just 24 years old alcantara has never hit more than three home runs in any season at any level He's been in the minor leagues for a long time now. He already has five extra base hits with the Cubs, including that home run on Wednesday. He had two home runs, Jeremy, this year in Iowa. This is pretty interesting that this is a guy who didn't really work out there in Detroit. He comes to the Cubs and a limited sample here. He's also raking and contributing defensively all across the infield. Yeah, he, he he's hit some balls hard. He's looked pretty good. Uh, the one thing that it seems like he has an extra option too. So 
perhaps yeah. he could be a guy that the Cubs, you know, once some other guys get healthy, can stash a little bit, keep around. Um, so he's he's been legit. And to go back on wisdom, you mentioned, don't forget that ball he blasted. You were at the game against mm-hmm. Sandy. It should be nine home runs, not eight home runs. It should be nine. But uh, Alcantara is an interesting guy. Um, so I, that home run he hit uh, the other night, that was not – that was not a cheapie. That was a blast in San Diego. So, you know, San Diego's a big ballpark. So he's shown some power. He's shown the ability to hit some balls hard. So perhaps there's something there. You know, it seems to me like the Cubs might be getting a little bit uh, – but Mr. Sogard might be a little bit towards the end of his leash. You start to see Ian Happ taking some, you know, games at second base. So maybe there's some room there for a Sergio Alcantara if he starts hitting the ball to, you know – kind of move his way up uh, and when a Bodie or Horner comes back that maybe he's not necessarily the guy that's going to be leaving this team. You know, the funniest thing to me is that David Ross says, said that Ian Happ came to him and said, I want to play some second base with some guys out. I, you know, I'm sure this isn't the case, but it's funnier to me. If you imagine Ian Happ watching Eric Sogard play second base from his perch in center field and going, you know what? I'm tired of this shit. Get me into second base. <laughs> That's certainly how you've been feeling for a while, Randall, from the uh, sidelines here going, you know what, put me in there. Anybody but Sogard. Randall wouldn't dive over first. You know, I would not. I I don't know that I'm capable of diving over first. I'm probably (laughs) capable of diving into first and other other hard surfaces. I would not, in fact, dive over first. So another thing I have over uh, Mr. Sogard. Well, one of the things that we've also been thinking about is uh, injuries, right? We talked about Hayward coming back, Marisnik coming back here on the road trip. Um, Randall, what's the latest with two other guys that fans are going to be curious about? Nico Horner first and then Duffy next. I feel like it's been quiet on the Horner front. What's, what's the latest there? The latest on Nico Horner, and this is important because now that vaccinations are becoming more widespread. And now that uh, media is able to travel, we're actually getting beat reporters traveling with the team and doing much more in-depth coverage. In San Diego, Nico was taking some swings. He was doing a little bit of light running. It sounds like they're taking it very slow with him and that he's probably still not uh, close to coming back, but he's starting to do activity again. Duffy was also taking some swings. He was taking some ground balls and doing some other running. It sounds like he's a lot closer to potentially a rehab assignment soon than Nico is, but it's encouraging to see they're at least both on the field and testing out their various injuries. And hopefully both guys can come back and they can make Nico in in Nico's case, the starting lineup stronger. And in Duffy's case, the bench, the starting lineup, wherever they play him, two guys, it would be very good to get back because those are both very contact oriented bats. And when they were in the lineup, this line, this offense was doing very good things. Things. Not that the offense hasn't been producing without them, but those are two good bats to have as contact oriented players in a lineup where a lot of your guys are uh, strikeout home run walk. So hopefully both of those guys are getting closer to coming back. Some bad news, Jeremy, on the injury front uh, for the Cubs. They lose maybe their best starting pitcher, Adbert, the young right-hander out with a blister injury. The good news here, Jeremy, shouldn't be a long-term injury. This also works into the Cubs' plans to kind of manage innings for the young right-hander. But still, with all the excitement and the great pitching we've seen from him, you cringe a little bit to see him go on the injured list. You do. I know that the Cubs were planning before this, before Adbert went on the injured list to uh, kind of go with the four man rotation for a little bit because uh, they have a, a few off days coming up. That's why they optioned Cole Stewart back. Um, but then you, you put Adbert on. So, you know, a blister on his hand. He struggled that night. 
Hopefully it gets healthy. He'll probably miss one start. Uh, but yeah, he'd been pitching well. He'd been pitching very well for the Cubs, pitching perhaps, as you said, the best of any Cubs pitcher. Although in the last start, Jake pitched very well and Davies looked decent before that. So the Cubs have kind of seen some starting. But uh, another guy um, I just wanted to mention was I believe that Justin Steele threw a bullpen the other day. I haven't heard how they said they were they would check him out, how, see how he felt the next day, but I never heard anything more from that. But I, I would like to get Justin Steele back. I think he would, he's been he was a huge help when he was in there, and I think he'd be a great guy to put back into the bullpen. Do you also see some starting innings for a guy like him maybe later this year? I would try it if there's room for him. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the rotation goes. Um, you know, right now it, it always feels like there's a guy that's kind of on the verge of like – it being his last start, like the Cubs haven't gotten great pitching from their starters. In fact, much the opposite, you know, you see Jake Arietta go out against San Francisco and he's just getting broke, just, just getting crushed. And then he comes back out against San Diego, another very good lineup and he dominated them. So, you know, it's like, almost like right in that moment, you think, okay, maybe this guy's only got one to two starts left and they throw one up. But if there's room for a guy like that or Keegan Thompson, you know, we've already seen Cole Stewart get a, a try. Keegan Thompson got another try earlier, but if there's room for a couple of those guys to get a few innings in the, uh, at the beginning of the, uh, get a few innings in the starter games, get some ro- uh, rotation starts. I-, I would be interested in seeing that. You know, Jeremy, you mentioned Keegan Thompson just a moment ago. I'm wondering if in the near future, the Cubs aren't going to option him back to Iowa with the intent of stretching him out because he's been pitching really well. And I think if a lot of your your more veteran guys who are on pretty short leashes continue to struggle here and there, I think you're going to see them maybe give a chance to one of their younger pitchers. And he's been throwing really well. He threw in San Diego in game one of that series. He was touching 96, 97. He's got a great breaking ball. He's got a great cut fastball. I wouldn't be surprised if in the near future, as some guys maybe start to get healthy again, maybe when Justin Steele comes back, if they option top Thompson down to Iowa and start stretching him out with an eye on giving him some starts for the big league club down the road. Cause I think he has really impressed with his repertoire. They rave about his, his poise, his ability to not lose his cool on the mound. And I think they're going to try him in the rotation sooner versus later. And I'm very curious to see how that experiment goes. The only thing about that I would say is that he's been such a huge part of the bullpen that, you know, sending him back down to Iowa, then you're losing a guy, who was, has been pitching key innings for the Cubs. Now, other guys might be able to step up. They're probably get a few guys healthy, as you mentioned, Justin Steele. You know, Tommy Nance is coming up now. But, uh, you know, it, it's hard for me to think of, like, a guy who's been such – he's been able to go multiple innings a few times that, like, I almost just want to I, – I, I don't necessarily want to see him go back down because I like having him in the pen. And that's, that's an excellent point. They've had the luxury of having this converted starter in the bullpen able to go two, three innings when you need. And that's the question player development has to answer. Are you better off getting two or three innings from a guy two or three times a week? Or are you better off hoping you can get five or six from him once a week? And that's what player development has to answer. So that's Justin, or sorry, uh, Keegan Thompson, another guy, they're going to have to make that decision on. Maybe not this year, maybe next year, but they may have to decide that eventually. Randall, one uh, closing thought here on this series out West. I know you love small sample sizes. Uh, The Cubs, as you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, take five out of six this year from San Diego. We've been having fun the last couple of weeks with this Cubs killer segment. 
No Cubs killer this year, Randall, in Fernando Tatis Jr. Just two for 18 this season against the Cubs with seven strikeouts. Yes, one of those two hits was a home run at Wrigley Field, but for the most part, they kept one of the best players in the National League quiet this season. They did, and they, they showed that incredible stat in ahead of game one of that series where Fernando Tatis is doing great work right now and the rest of his team is not. So to keep him quiet is a blessing. And that's probably why they were able to win five games out of six in this season series. And as long as we're talking about shortstops, I'd like to point out Javier Baez did not strike out once in this series mm. in San Diego. Wow. <laughs> he didn't play. That'll yes. do it. <laughs> But Tatis hit a rope off at Kimbrell yesterday that uh, Ian Hatt made a very nice play on to uh, get an out. That ball was hit 113 miles per hour. Well, that's, that's you know, you take what you get with Tatis. It, it's, it doesn't matter how hard he hit it. It was an out in a, a Cubs win. So you'll, you'll say better luck next time, Nando. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll fly out of San Diego with that win. The Cubs rested a whole bunch of regulars on Wednesday. Uh, Chris Bryant, not in the lineup. Wilson Contreras, not in the lineup. Javier Baez, as you mentioned a moment ago, Randall, not in the lineup. Day off today for the Cubs. They return to Wrigley Field tomorrow to what should be Bedlam for a couple of days. The Cardinals are in town. The Cubs come home tied with the Brewers, 35 and 27. Both teams atop the National League Central standings. The Cubs uh, on the two-game winning streak. St. Louis comes in at 32 and 30. They've won just two of their last 10 ball games in a big funk here. Uh, these are two old time teams. The Cubs have already taken two out of three this season from the Cardinals down in St. Louis and Jeremy, the Cubs come home to 100% capacity. It's going to be a crazy scene at Wrigley field this weekend. Uh, here's what we know. Kyle Hendricks is going to pitch at some point this weekend. Zach Davies is going to pitch at some point this weekend. A little bit of uncertainty, though, about who that third starter is going to be or whether or not it's going to be a bullpen day. And uh, that's interesting as the Cubs and Cardinals get set to lock up again. Definitely interesting. It should be a fun weekend. I'll be out there Sunday night. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting to me because I, I was looking at – I saw a tweet the other day about, you know, Philadelphia, how they've had – basically, they're, they're open for full capacity, I believe, in Pennsylvania – and they've had some of the lowest attendance uh, of in their, I don't know if it's in Citizens Bank history or Philadelphia history, but they've had, they've been struggling to get people to come to the ballpark lately. Uh, and I can't imagine that to be the case at Wrigley. Uh, it just, it's felt like people have been, you know, ch champing at the bit to get out there and it's going to be a hundred percent. It's going to be reopened. They're doing opening day 2.0, I guess they're calling it tomorrow. You got Bill Murray singing out the seventh inning stretch. So that should be fun. Uh, you know, Cubs greats, a bunch of them out there. Andre Dawson will be throwing out the first pitch. So it'll be exciting to, to see like a real festive atmosphere. And I, you know, the Cardinals have been struggling. They offense hasn't been going well. Pitching hasn't been going well. They've got a lot of guys going to the IL, but you know what? It's the Cardinals. It's Wrigley field. I don't take it for granted. I, the Cardinals are going to put up a fight. We know they are. So I, I don't expect the Cubs to just roll over this team. So it should be a very fun weekend. It should be a very hard fought and close weekend in my opinion. Yeah. When, you know, the Cardinals come in, strange things happen. It's the mixing of the energies. Jeremy, you'll understand this. It's like Futurama, the supernova and the microwave popcorn, the blue and the red colliding. You never know what's going to happen. Um, so hopefully it will be a good series in favor of the Cubs. 
They are catching the Cardinals when they are dealing with a lot of injuries right now. One of their top pitchers, Jack Flaherty, he's going to be out for a long time with what sounded like a severe oblique injury. They've got other starting pitchers on the injured list right now. So hopefully the Cubs can take advantage. The Cardinals are a little bit banged up right now, and it would be nice to see the Cubs uh, remind the Cardinals you know, who, who, who's got the nicer ballpark, who's got the nicer city and who's got the slightly less obnoxious fans. It's uh, something else that you can get excited about, Randall. Nationally televised game Saturday night. Nationally televised game Sunday night at Wrigley Field. Don't see a lot of Saturday night games at Wrigley Field over the years, so you know that's going to be just a crazy environment in Wrigleyville. Two old school teams. Um, so good for those fans that don't have to listen to the national broadcast. I know what you'll be doing Saturday, Randall. A whole lot of mute. Yeah, that that little speaker with the no symbol will be flashing uh, off and on on my television. I like that it does that, make sure that the uh, the symbol doesn't burn into the screen, uh, which is important when you're watching a three and a half, four hour broadcast. Not the only flashing you'll be doing that evening though. Uh, Jeremy, you gotta be excited. We've seen some rowdy crowds over the last couple of uh, weeks at Wrigley Field. They were at 60% capacity, the last homestand, but this bump up to 100%, we're gonna see 40,000 people Friday, Saturday, and Sunday it's just as good as it gets. And it's something that we've been longing for, for over a year now. I'll be back out in the bleachers and it's going to be free for all general admission. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, you know, there's going to be no more protocols. It's going to be a real game at Wrigley field. There's, there's nothing else going on. So uh, it should be chaos. As you said, it should be an exciting time. Hopefully the product on the field will match I, uh, the fans uh, feelings in the, uh, in the stands. But, uh, you know, I- I'm really excited for it. It's going to be the first, like, real-time back, real baseball since 2019, almost two years. So, you know, and the last time I went to a Cubs-Cardinals game, I- it was not good. Did not end well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rizzo hit a nice homer coming back from an ankle injury. We pulled a little, you know, Willis-Reed action. Nobody thought he was going to play, and then he came out and hit a homer and came out the fifth. But uh, the Cardinals took it to the Cubs. The Cubs had a, a bad time in 2019. So I'm expecting some better things this time. I think the Cubs are going to come out and, and play pretty well, uh, feed off the energy of the crowd. So it, it should be an exciting weekend. Randall, you've always been pretty sour about Cubs-Cardinals games. It's something that last time these two teams played, Jeremy and I were speaking sort of longingly about. It's a wonderful rivalry. It's old school baseball. Uh, it, it's just something fun about when the Cubs and Cardinals play. And tomorrow, 120 Wrigley Field, the only day game in baseball. That is as as good as it gets. I got to ask you, though, over the years, what is your favorite Cubs Cardinals memory? My favorite Cubs Cardinals memory. uh, I'm pretty sure I have to go with the 2015 NLDS. Hector Rondon striking out whichever nameless Cardinal it was to end the ball game. Uh, You know, I'll always remember the Pat Hughes call. It sounds like a weight lifts off his shoulders as he screams Cubs win. But, you know, after that, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. Ronan, you and I were at a Cubs-Cardinals game in 2004. Oh, yeah. We saw a young Dan Heron get absolutely shelled and walk off the mound at Wrigley. And I'll never forget the individual behind us shouting, we'll see you at AAA, buddy. Dan Heron, a very young man, uh, beginning of his career at that point. But that's always stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Randall, I remember you brought a sign to that ball game at Wrigley Field. Do you remember what it said on that sign? Of course I remember what it said, but I'm not going to admit it here on a podcast. I know better than that. 
Plus you're well, going to do it. You're going to do it for me anyway in a minute. So I'll toss this back to you. You, you, you put it out there, Ronan, go for it. You're, well, you're, I can tell you're, you're bursting at the seams. Your headphone, your headset barely fits because right. it's just, it's just bursting out of your head. So go to it. Here you go. All yours. I can confidently say on what it was a, it was a two-sided sign with writing on both sides. And one side said, Zambrano is the mano. Mano. And mano, M-A-N dash O. What was the other side? I think I've got uh, something bouncing around in my head. I don't think it's right though. Did it have to do with the relief pitcher? It might've. LaTroy Hawkins. It might've, it might've LaTroy Hawkins before we soured on him a little bit. Sure. What was that? The sign that said LaTroy is our boy. It might have said that, yes. And I, I freely admit that my teenage self, 2004, I was years old, uh, may not have thought that through entirely. And, you know, I suppose if I ever run for public office, somebody uh, by the name of Ronan, no, we'll call him Mr. O'Shea, uh, will probably submit that to some news organization. And there goes the whole campaign. I got I a couple. Think that sign would be the least of your worries of what Ronan's digging up. I got a couple Cubs Cardinals uh, moments from over the years. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, uh, this is probably my second favorite. Uh, 2008, Cubs win the division. Kerry Wood on the mound against the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. The game ends with a flyout to Jim Edmonds of the Chicago Cubs in center field to end it. The Cubs win the division. Uh, but I want to go back to 2003, a five-game set at Wrigley Field in September. Cubs take four out of five. The lone game they lost was on Randall's favorite thing, a blown call from the umpire, a game which uh, Antonio Alfonseca got ejected for bumping his belly into the umpire and uh, making contact down the line. So really, really exciting times as the Cubs went on to win the division in 2003. Uh, What am I missing here, Jeremy? Any other Cubs Cardinals memories that resonate with you? Uh, yeah, a few that resume. I, at the one I was, you know, starting off, you would ask me first. I would have agreed with Randall. I would have gone to 2015 uh, NLDS. And just to mention, a guy that was on the Cubs in 2015 NLDS, Dan Heron. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, sticking with 2015 a little bit, I remember the end of the season, I want to say late September, Addison Russell making yep. an amazing play to finish a game off where he flipped the ball to Javi, who was covering second. That just always stuck with me as a game against the Cardinals. I, I want to mention we went to a game in St. Louis where our boy Beef, our boy Wellington Castillo, hit a monster homer. Jeff Samar just started the game early April. You know, uh, that was a game where the Cubs, you know, took a, uh, not a good Cubs team, and they were able to take it to a, a pretty good Cardinals team. Uh, was that 2013? Is that the year the Cardinals made the World Series? So that was a pretty good Cardinals team. And then just some other random memories. I remember Wilson hitting a monster homer uh, in extras there. Uh, I believe or late in the ninth, like opening day of like 2017, I think. It was 2017. It was their yeah. first opening day, first regular season game as World Series champions. Yeah, Contreras tied homer. it with a long home run in the ninth. Uh, they would go on to lose that game. But a few other memories I have, I think 04, I want to say we also went to a Cubs Cardinals game and I remember Matt Morris, I think it was 04 throwing basically at Derek Lee's head and the bench is clearing. Yeah. The Larusa dusty Baker rivalry going back then. Uh, so, you know, uh, it was, there've been some rivalry. There's been some great games between the two teams. Uh, I could never get over Antonio Alfonseca just bumping the umpire. I'll, I'll always remember that as one of <laughs> my favorite memories. But, uh, you know, those are just ones that pop in my head now that I'm thinking about it. 
I got one other one that, that comes to mind. This was from my favorite season, one of my favorite seasons, 2001. June 8th, 2001, Cubs-Cardinals, a 120 start at Wrigley Field. It was a Friday. Matt Morris carried a no-hitter into the seventh inning of that ball game. The Cubs rally win that game late. It was the Cubs' 15th victory in 16 games at the time. And uh, really, really good stuff. So exciting baseball game there between the Cubs and the uh, Cardinals. That one was on the tip of my tongue. I was about to say it, but I cut it off. I was actually at that game with my dad, and that was a, it was a perfect game, and, and it was Jim Edmonds who stopped short of the wall. He, he always kind of had an issue with that center field wall at Wrigley, and he kind of stopped short of the wall, and the, the no-hitter perfect game was broken up, and the Cubs came back to win. But the, speaking of Jim Edmonds and the Cardinals, Jim Edmonds taking it to the Cardinals on the Cubs in 2008 and staring down Tony La Russa in the dugout that's a good one when he's crossing home plate. So that's the one that just popped up in my head right now. Talking about Jim Edmonds. There were uh, plenty of bad ones too. We're not going to dwell on that too much, but Carlos Marmel having a meltdown in St. Louis was a memory that unfortunately sticks with me. Um, but we got good vibes. We're going to stay with good vibes going into this weekend. Uh, always a question, Randall, how's it going to be at Wrigley? hundred percent capacity. You guys are saying it's been humid this week. What can we expect this weekend at the friendly confines? All right, our regular segment from our good friend Alexander Hall, whom you can find on Twitter at Alexander Hall. He provides Cubs weather on his Twitter account at Cubs weather. It's all very thematically uh, appropriate. And you can tell Alex is fired up about the weather this weekend because he's included some very nice uh, copy for us here. He says that the series vibe, Ferris Bueller's actual day off is said to be June 5th, 1985. And this is pretty much the classic early summertime Chicago air mass he would have experienced in the Ferrari GT California on Lakeshore Drive. Fitting because a whole lot of folks are about to miss work on Friday for the first 100 capacity game. And Alexander tells us that he will be at this game at Wrigley. On Friday for the 120 start, you can expect warm and brilliant sunshine, temperatures right around 80 with some potential for variability due to the lake influence, but expect a light lake breeze to take over, blowing in at 10 to 15 miles per hour from right field and center field with a small chance of an afternoon pop-up thunderstorm. For the Saturday night game at 6.15, partly cloudy, mid to upper 70s, wind in from center field at 10 to 15 miles per hour with another slight chance for a storm. And then he describes the Sunday night game as a, and I quote, a real dazzler, clear skies, less humid, upper 70s and light wind in from left field, center field at 5 to 15 miles per hour. It sounds like it will be just a jewel of a weekend at Wrigley. And then the Cubs go on the road to Queens and uh, palatial, palatial City Field. And the series vibe for the series in New York, comfortable, comfortable in Queens, getting even more dazzling as the week goes on. Uh, Alexander tells us he will always be also be at one of those games as well. So he's making the rounds and following the Cubs around uh, this week. All of these games will be East Coast night games, 6-10 Central Time for Monday. Partly cloudy, temperatures in the mid-70s, a little bit humid with a slight chance for rain, wind out to center field in Queens at 5 to 15 miles per hour. The Tuesday night game, again partly cloudy, temperatures in the low 70s with another chance for rain, similar wind out to center field at 5 to 15 miles per hour. And then on Wednesday, he says the sparkling drier air from Sunday in Chicago finally makes its way to New York City. 
Clear skies, temperatures in the upper 60s with a slight breeze out to right field towards the right field corner. And then finally Thursday, the series conclusion, a little bit more humid, but still brilliant. Clear skies, temperatures in the upper 70s with a breeze out to center field. That is our regular weather contribution from our good friend at Alexander Hall. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter as well as at Cubs Weather when you get a moment. Really good stuff there. Appreciate the weather forecast. And uh, I had an experience, Randall, on Monday that our friend Alexander would have found interesting. Was flying back from Chicago to Denver. Uh, pretty smooth flight. Normally, when you go east to west and you get about within 100 miles to 200 miles of Denver, uh, the turbulence starts to pick up. Um, this time, flying into Denver, I noticed there was sort of an orange glow. And the pilot or the captain on the plane was saying, hey, there's some nasty weather. There was a tornado, Randall, about 40 miles northeast of Denver on Monday. There is incredible footage on Twitter. So those of you that are interested in weather, hop on Twitter. Uh, you can type in um, uh, Weld County, Colorado, COWX, whatever you need to look for. There's tons of footage of this storm on Monday. But I was in the air flying into DIA with this tornado just off to the north of the city. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. Just incredible footage. And I'm a little pissed off, though, Randall, that the entire time I was in Chicago, I was in the Chicagoland area 11 days, didn't really get any storms or any, you know, thunderstorms, that type of weather. Denver, while I was gone, actually got some significant rainfall. I come back, the 10-day forecast for Denver right now, sunny every day, 90 to 97 degrees just about every day. So I'm not getting any storms. I'm just getting battered by the sun here, and I just missed an interesting one on Monday in Denver. Well, Ronan, I'm, I'm glad you were man you managed to fly into DIA and you were not DOA with the tornado wow. so close <laughs> with the tornado yeah, so close to your airplane. Uh, now here's my question. Were you able to see the tornado from the airplane or were you just able to see kind of the, uh, the, the, the distant, the distant effect of it from the airplane? So that's a good question. And that sets up uh, one of my big pet peeves in traveling and my flight home and my flight back was my first time in the air since uh, November of 2019. And I like to fly. I enjoy going to airports. It's fun being up in the air. One of my big pet peeves on a plane are people who have the window down. So the storm was off to the north, which was to the right as we were flying west. And the person in my row had the damn blinder down. So I couldn't see the tornado. I had an interesting view. I was on a window seat facing south. So I could see sort of the back end of the storm, the beginning of the front range of the mountains. It was very, very cool, but I didn't get the, the lightning storm and the tornado, which I would have seen off to the right. So pretty pissed off about that. And for people who fly, leave the damn window open. I wanna see outside. It's one of my big pet peeves. Even landing in Chicago when I got in, I was in a middle seat, not the best feeling in the world, but I'm in the middle seat. Guy next to me had the thing down. So I've got my, you know, flying into Chicago, you've got Lake Michigan, you've got the skyline, you've got all of the density of coming into the city. And I didn't get to see any of it because these people can't open the damn windows on the plane. You know, for all the entertainment options we have on airplanes in the present day, you'd think it wouldn't be that hard for them to put a camera on the exterior of the airplane facing in all four directions and let you flip to that feed on your, your screen back, your, your seat back screen. Cause I know, I know you'd be sitting there watching that if the weather was right, you know, if there's nothing good on the, uh, the in-flight television, I'd be sitting there watching that. You'd think the airliners would, uh, would be able to do that for, for all the entertainment options we have. Randall, if you want, and if anybody on this podcast wants some video footage of airplanes flying from the outside, I got <laughs> hours of GoPro footage of that. Okay. 
So if you if you want some of that, you could you could watch over the plains of Illinois and Wisconsin. I got hours of that footage. I always remember, Jeremy, I've had many, many fond memories, mostly going to Bears games with you and your dad, where he'd be driving us in to the train or whatever to get down there. Um, the old CDs that he had in the car. The pilot had, audio updates. Thank pilot you, audio the pilot updates. audio updates. That was riveting uh, audio. I always enjoyed hearing that going into the city. I tried to get my dad. I'm like, Dad, he listens to the same ones from like 10 years ago because the guy like retired after uh, – you know, I, like 2011, 12. I'm like, Dad, I guarantee you there's like podcasts that do the same thing now. Just pop out a podcast. You don't need to listen to the same CDs over and over again. That's cool stuff, though. I do. I, I like uh, getting up in the air. I like severe weather, but it uh, sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. Um, comfortable, rather, at Wrigley Field this weekend. Um, Randall, you're the big fashion guy here, although Jeremy's got the uh, nice get up tonight. But generally, you are our big fashion guy. And uh, you're also into to jerseys. You like numbers. You like color schemes. For many, many years, Randall, you've been mocking up what Cubs jerseys could look like or taking Cubs imagery, putting it on a hockey sweater and kind of coming up with your own jerseys or sweaters. So interesting news this week, the city connect jerseys are unveiled looking at the Chicago Cubs. It says Wrigleyville across the chest. We've heard Boog talking endlessly about it on the last couple of broadcasts, all the neighborhood names are located on the shoes and cleats as well. Um, you're the Jersey guy. What do you think? What did he make of these city connect jerseys? Painfully, painfully boring, cripplingly boring. I had high hopes for these jerseys because I think there was a lot of potential in making a Chicago-themed jersey. Chicago, such a great visual city. You have the Chicago flag with the, the, the six-pointed stars and the stripes. You have the Chicago municipal device, that Y-shaped symbol that actually served as a version of the flag prior, prior to the introduction of the current version. You have you play at Wrigley Field, which has more iconography in a square block than a lot of teams have in 50 years of history. All of these potential themes, all of these potential icons, and your jerseys say Wrigleyville across the chest in the shape of the marquee. I was just so disappointed. Uh, you know, if any of you have been following these Nike City Connect jerseys, they're an effort that probably mimics what they've been doing in the NBA with all of their alternate jerseys, trying to connect these team jerseys to the cities they play in. The Boston Red Sox version tied into some of the colors and some of the icons from the Boston Marathon. I didn't think the jersey really hit as a Red Sox jersey, but I said, you know, this isn't a bad concept. The Marlins came about and I said, all right, there's, there's more to this, paying homage to a, a former minor league team that was based in Havana, Cuba, the old Havana uh, Sugar Kings. Uh, I thought it was a really good jersey. The red with the white pinstripes, I said, you know, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic here. The White Sox edition came out and it's just mono black with Southside. And it's not a bad jersey. I don't want to rag on the White Sox unduly. It was a, a good jersey for kind of their team's identity. And, you know, I, I had high hopes for the Cubs for the reasons I stated. I think you can do a lot of really good things with a Chicago-themed Cubs jersey. The Bulls did it. They did their jerseys in, in Chicago, light blue and red, and they looked great. And, you know, I had those high hopes and they simply were not recognized. The, the jerseys, they're, they're boring. They look like something you'd find on the shelf at a Kohl's or a Marshall's on sale for 50% off because ain't nobody want them. And, um, you know, they look a little better as a full ensemble. The players wearing the, the light blue base layers, 
uh, and the light blue socks. So they look a little better as a full jersey, not just a, a jersey shirt. The hats are great. The hats are great. You've got the classic C with the Chicago star in the middle. I like those, but overall, it just does not do much for me. I think there was so much more they could have done. And I think part of it might have to do with the fact that the White Sox got a similar jersey. You can't give the Cubs all of the Chicago iconography uh, when the White Sox also play in the city. So whatever the process was of designing these, and the Cubs said their marketing department worked with Nike and they weren't really cognizant of what the White Sox were doing. Whatever the process was, I think they could have just done so much more bricks, Ivy, the flag, and they just didn't do it. So, you know, I don't want to harp on it too much since I've already taken the last five minutes to harp on it too much. Uh, they, they could have done a lot better. They're not ugly. They're not bad. They're just boring. There, there could have been so much more to them. Any thoughts, Jeremy? Yeah, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, the biggest fan in the world of all these uh, third jerseys. I like throwback jerseys, you know, every once in a while. I think they're cool. I'm not the, of all these, I'm, I'm not a big fan of what the NBA jerseys necessarily, the Bulls jerseys. I don't like the Bulls wearing blue, especially those light blue ones. I'm not, I'm not really a fan of that. You know, if it's not your color, I, to me, it doesn't make any sense. I don't like the Boston ones, the Red Sox. Uh, I, I, I don't like those at all, especially since the hats make them look like they're the UCLA Bruins. Um, so, I, I you know, the Marlins ones are okay. I think they pay homage, as Randall said, to, you know, a minor league uh, Cuban team. And the Marlins don't really have, I feel like, any identity anyways. So it's like, you know, that one's okay. The Sox ones, they fit, you know, they fit their identity, fit their team, they fit the right color. So I, I'm not like a big fan of them, but I get them, you know, uh, for that team. But then the Cubs, it's uh, Randall said they're boring. I, you know, they're, they're not that interesting to me. Um, you see them on the players. I, I will agree. They look a little better. I, you do kind of get the vibe of like, I, they mentioned the, the ones from like 1911, 1913. You do kind of get a little bit of that vibe with the, all the blue and especially when they wear them a little baggier. But like the Wrigley Wrigleyville and the shape of the marquee, like I and and I realize it's the Cubs, so that's probably why it's Wrigleyville. But like I, you know, it's Lakeview or something. They're, they they could have put Northside to rival the Sox wearing the South Side. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I I think the patch is interesting. I wouldn't necessarily. I don't necessarily like think of it as like a possible logo or see it in the future. I'm sure they'll be selling stuff with it, you know, t-shirts, a whole bunch of stuff. But like, to me, I, I like the regular uniforms. I like the regular jerseys. You want to put a blue Cubs third jersey or something like that, something in the flow of the regular uniform. Okay. I'm willing to be open to it. I don't really like this whole, you know, we have to like basically put these jerseys out there. So, you know, to sell them and, you know, put the whole, I'm not a, I'm not a real fan of them. I I didn't like it with the Bulls. I don't like it here. I, I'm way with you there. I'm much stronger opinion on it, though. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I hate all of the extra jerseys that are flooding the game now. And let me preface it by saying this. I understand why they do it. To your point, Jeremy, it is a big money generator for baseball. Even seeing the reactions to people saying, oh, I want to get this new hat or this new pullover, whatever the case may be. People buy this stuff. They like to wear it. I don't think you can beat the home white pinstripes that the Cubs have. It's as good as it gets in terms of baseball uniforms. That's what I want to see the Cubs wear when they're at home. 
I want them to wear their home white top with blue pinstripes. And when they're on the road, I love the gray uniform with Chicago across the chest. Road jerseys should say the city that you are playing in, your home jersey. You don't necessarily need to have the city on it, have your logo or your team name on there. That's how I would like it to be. Two jerseys. You got a home uniform. You got a road uniform. Um, it's just like every other weekend, there's a different uniform. There's the Players Weekend uniform. And there's the Camos uniform. It's just too much. And it just it doesn't do it for me. I don't get excited looking at these. I'd rather they just wore the home whites. To me, you can't top it, so stop trying. I definitely uh, would rather they wore the home whites. I definitely agree with you. The wor- and, to be honest, and the worst were the 2019 Players Weekend uniforms. They were awful. They were terrible. Uh, I guess people talked about them. You know, they were a conversation piece. But I went to one of those games of the Nationals, and it was just, why are we wearing all white and all black for two teams? These are not our colors. And it just seems yeah. off. doesn't match, you know, what's going around around you. Everything else, is, you know, in Wrigley is either green or red or blue. So it just, I, I didn't like it at all. And, and these, I mean, we'll see how they play in them. Uh, you know, in 2014, they obviously did it all the throwbacks, right? Because it was 100 years. And that was at least interesting to me, you know, going through the history and the time. But I don't, I don't like these one-off, like, and I'm with you 100% of the camo stuff. I'm glad they stopped doing the camo stuff for, like, Memorial Day because, to me, that always seemed off-putting, and I, I didn't like that at all. So they kind of moved it up to now they have, like, Military Day or Armed Forces Day, whatever. That's, like, a week before Memorial Day. But, uh, you know, you get on Mother's Day, you have the light pink. On Father's Day, you have the light blue, at least with the Cubs. It, it can kind of flow because of the blue, so it's not too off. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with you 100%, Ronan. I'm, I'm not a fan. And and these didn't wow me in any way where I'm like, oh, those actually look good. Like, to put them out there, I can see it. So I, I'd rather they just go out this weekend and, you know, get some Chris Sale scissors and go out and wear the regular <laughs> jerseys. Well, the other thing, too, is that like you and this is I realize I'm being picky here, but I'm get to be and I'm going to do that. Like you old see Cubs highlights from back in the day. And, you know, the jerseys kind of make sense for the era that they're in. Now we see highlights from the last decade. And half the time I see a random highlight from a game from a decade ago, I'm asking myself, what the hell are they wearing? Like, that's a hideous looking jersey for this walk off home run or this great play that we'll be watching clips of for years and years. So that kind of pisses me off, too. I'd rather a lot of these big moments be happening in the home white uniform. You know, Ronan, I hope I hope the MLB brings back uh, turn ahead the clock. And you can enjoy a Rockies game with that that massive black and white and purple mountain on the front of the jersey. You you can't beat that as much as you should beat that. Um, yeah, you know, merchandise sales, they drive everything, which makes it a little bit ironic that they've actually phased out a lot of the special holiday jerseys. The teams don't wear pink or light blue accented jerseys anymore. It's all relegated to hats now. But yeah, they could have done so much better with these. We are lucky they're only wearing them for the one game this uh, coming Saturday. And, you know, these jerseys apparently are now available to the teams as alternates whenever they might like. You get the feeling that the teams maybe aren't super keen on that. And they're like, thanks, Nike. We'll keep that in mind. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, the one game and then we can, I can, I can, I can move on. But it, it could have been done so much better. And I'm, I hopefully Nike gets the merchandise sales they want out of it to the point where they don't try and force this again. Interesting, though, is that we don't know if there is going to be a Players Weekend special jersey this year. If there is going to be, I'm half curious and half a little worried about what Nike might have come up with after the kind of the, the youth baseball themed tops from the first two seasons. 
Uh, and then the, the straight black and straight white from 2019. So if, if Nike is implementing that this year, I'm a little curious to see what they came up with for Players Weekend. I, is it only for Saturday? Because I, I feel like the White Sox wore Saturday and Sunday. It is. It's, it's a team. Of, it's a Marlins. team choice. The Marlins, I think, wore them for the entire series. Uh, yeah. But I believe in the summary of the homestand so that okay. the Cubs put out uh, for this weekend series, I believe they specifically indicated that only the Saturday game would involve the wearing of the the City Connect jerseys. So for those of us That's who aren't for those of us who aren't big fans of them, we just have to put up with them for the one night and then the Cubs will go back to those classic home whites. And Ronan, you mentioned the road jerseys and saying the city name across the chest. That's something I like about the All-Star game when you have the road team NL versus AL lined up and you've got a whole row of guys wearing jerseys that say Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and uh, other cities. I kind of like that for the road team, just one guy after another. Cause of course the players are required to wear their, their base road or home Jersey. You don't get any alternates. You just get the city names uh, one guy after another. I kind of like that camera shot when they do it every year. I always preferred too as a kid when they wore their uniforms and you saw all the players uniforms and things out on the field. That was neat in the all-star game, but uh, they've sort of even that stuff out over the last 10 to 15 years or so. And they're making a ton of money with all these jerseys. All right, Randall, we are nearing the end here. This is episode number 22. So what are we missing? Anything else we should close with today? You know, other than it's, It'll be good to see Wrigley back at 100% capacity. They've removed all the restrictions aside from the uh, the contactless concessions and other purchases. So we we wish everybody going to Wrigley this weekend and going forward uh, safety, happiness, health, and hopefully Cubs win. Prediction this weekend, Randall, how many Cubs wins? I think the Cubs are going to take two out of three. Jeremy? Uh, I was also going to go with two out of three, so I will stick with that. Get your brooms, boys. Cubs are winning all three. W flags flying all weekend. We'll be back next week to talk about the series against the St. Louis Cardinals. I want to end on one other quick note here, too. Our buddy Stan Miller reached out. He wants us to talk about run differential and something we've seen here in the majors. So the three of us will get together. We'll crunch some numbers. And that is one topic we'll talk about next week. We'll also bring back trivia. I think we need an old Cubs box score and some Cubs killers. So all the segments coming out following this Cubs Cardinals series. We will see you next week again, right here on behind the yellow line for Jeremy and Randall. I'm Ronan. Good night and go Cubs.